1: Thank you for joining us. We are reminded that this world, as troubled as it is, is not our final destination. It is a temporary stopping point on our way home. We are not conformed to this world, for we have been transformed by the renewing of our minds through Christ Jesus. Our God is holy, and as His children, He expects nothing less of us, no matter what. Listen with Bible, pen, and paper handy, as you will want to take notes as Pastor Rander continues to minister to us today. And
2: Father, we thank you for being a good God. We have come into your house to bless your most holy name. Help me now to preach in the power of the Holy Ghost. Let those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God has to say to each and every one of us this morning. Thank you, Father, for this divine privilege. So many want to come and couldn't. Nursing homes, some are in hospitals and others in prison and homeless and all kinds of conditions. But thank you that you brought us here. And help us to get what we have come for. That we would grow into your likeness and be dispensers of your good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me to preach now in Jesus name. And all God's children said. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Turn with us to the book of Malachi, dealing with stewardship, stewardship of our lives, stewardship of our time, our talents, and our treasures, our tithes, and our offerings, and all these kinds of things. Malachi chapter 1. Verses 6 through 8. Malachi chapter 1. Verses 6 through 8. And there you'll find these words. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, Is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. And from this passage of scripture, we want to preach dishonoring God with disgraceful offerings. In this particular passage, God rebukes Israel for her unfaithfulness, starting with the priest who abused their God-given priestly privileges by being negligent with sacred things. Instead of being godly representative before the people, they were breaking the very law they were supposed to be obeying and teaching. They were a disgrace before God and hypocrites before the Israelis. No wonder Israel was so impoverished spiritually because when the priests go astray, the people go astray because their vision of God becomes blurred and distorted when the priest is living waywardly and rebelliously against the law of almighty God. And beloved, that is why even in the church today, it is critical for families to be under shepherds and pastors who have been saved by God, who have a heart for God. You need to be sitting under pastors and shepherds who are a spiritual example to the flock of God before the people of God. You need to be sitting under someone who has a deep reverence for God as well as sacred things. Your families are too valuable for you to be sitting under someone that is leading you astray and away from God instead of to God because they are being a wonderful representative before God. Look at verse six, if you will. Verse six, it says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, Where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts to you, priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? In verse six, you can you can entitle verse six, the absence of reverence and honor in the temple. The absence, the absence of reverence and honor in the temple. Malachi asks some riveting questions in order to jolt the priests out of their state of lethargy and sinfulness. God says through the prophet Malachi, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you, priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You see, church, the priests conducted themselves as though God did not exist. Apparently, the priests had become so hardened to the point that they rationalized their sins by asking an arrogant and sarcastic question in the face of Jehovah God saying, yet you say in what way have we despised your name? In other words, not only did they not give God his honor and respect, the priests despised, ridiculed, disgraced God with scornful questions. These priests were on the brink of judgment, yet they were so comfortable in their sins. On the brink of judgment, but comfortable in their sins. Look at verse 7. You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. In verse seven is is dishonoring God with disgraceful food. Dishonoring God with disgraceful food. In this particular verse, Malachi transitions to the issue of offering defiled food on the altar of God. The priests offered defective, imperfect, and flawed animals, which were strictly forbidden by the law, which was insulting to God. God's law required that only perfect animals be offered to Him. If you look just for a moment, hold your thumb where you are, your finger where you are, and turn back to uh, Leviticus chapter one, verse three. You see here uh, God's prescription as to how offerings are to be made unto him. In Leviticus chapter one, verse three, it says, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the Lord, let him offer a male without blemish. In other words, it has to be a perfect male sacrifice he shall offer it of his own free will in other words he should not be forced to give to God it should, he should do it freely voluntarily from the heart generously at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting before the Lord in other words God is not going to take offerings from his people any kind of way Offering defiled and blemished sacrifices to the Lord is equivalent to slapping a holy God in the face. Why did Malachi call the sacrifices food? Because all the offerings were called food, the food of God. For in Numbers chapter 28 verses 1 and 2, you see why he called, God called the offering foods. In Numbers 28 verses 1 and 2, it says, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, look, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. When God addresses the issue of defiled food, these rebellious priests again ridicule God with an egotistical question by saying, In what way have we defiled you? The priests were corrupt without shame and without guilt as they offered to God and ate unacceptable sacrifices before God. This made the priests guilty, deserving of death. And if the priests were in this kind of condition, what hope has the people who were following the priests? Look at verse eight. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, Is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 8 can be entitled Malachi's provocative question since the priests always responded to malachi's charges with haughty and sarcastic questions malachi gives them a taste of their own medicine by dishing out a series of probing questions he asks them and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice is it not evil and when you offer the lame and sick is it not evil Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Malachi suggested that the priests take their defiled, stinky offering to their governor. Certainly, the governor whose Persian title was Pekah would not have been pleased with the meat from blind, crippled, and diseased animals. In fact, it would have been rejected. How much more absurd it was to expect a holy God, who is the creator and God of the universe, to accept their polluted, low-down offerings. In other words, God is saying to his people, why offer me something you would not give your own governor? And if someone's going to give you a gift, let's just say someone decided to give you the gift of a German shepherd puppy or uh, uh, Chihuahua uh, uh, Doberman, Doberman Pinscher, whatever breed you like, uh, or even a mutt. If they give you, I got a present for you and they give you this little puppy and the puppy have two legs off and the puppy can't see, how would you feel? How would you feel <laughs> if somebody gave you a new car without a motor? How would you feel? How would you feel? Somebody gave you clothes, and you put it on, and it ripped up the scene. How would, how would you feel? You'd be talking, and man, why they give me this junk? I mean, I mean, this is not even, this is not, it. It, it, it costs nothing. Not even you want something that's absurd and something that's defective. That's not a true gift, and that's not honoring the person that you, your friend, your parents, your loved one, your siblings, you give people something that costs you something. You give folks something that's worth something. You don't just throw together some little nuggets of whatever and then say, I hope you enjoy it. Leviticus chapter 22. Look, at every one of you turn to Leviticus chapter 22, it's a book that many Christians don't frequent. Uh, Leviticus 22, 19 through 22. You're hanging with me? Leviticus 22, 19 through 22. I love all these pages being turned to the glory of God. It says, here's another prescription. You shall offer of your own free will. Keep underlining that, of your own free will. In other words, nobody ought to force you to give. You ought not be cursed or coerced to give. Uh, you ought not be threatened and all these kind of things. Uh, what, what you do to God ought to be done out of a love for him a passion for him. You ought to just be glad that God has created you and saved you. You shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from, and he tells you what to give, from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. Verse 21, and whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a freewill offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be what? Perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or an eczema or scabs. You shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord. In other words, what you give God ought to be your best. It ought to be representative of your love for him. And God gave heaven's best for you. And you ought to give your best back to God. And anything less than your best, beloved, is an affront to God and breaks the heart of Jehovah God. And even today, it is amazing how much more respect is given to the IRS than to Almighty God. If you owe the Internal Revenue Service, you heard make that thing right because they wield unlimited power. That's right. You can go get your check and all of a sudden there's a little note saying "Check's gone, IRS, they garnish it. That's right. They can take your house. They can they can take they can take your freedom. They can throw you in jail. And why is it that there's more respect for the IRS than God? Is it because of the immediate consequences and penalties incurred should you not do as if God is not a just God, and one day you're going to stand before him and give an account as to how you represented him, how you have given your life, your testimony to God, your ties to God, your talents, your treasures, your everything. God owns it all, and he wants an acceptable offering of your life. If you do not give your life to God, if you do not surrender totally to him, then surely you're not going to give anything else to him. Many have no problem rendering to Caesar what is his, but when it comes to giving to God, there is a sense of ease and comfort in habitually dishonoring God by giving him disgraceful offerings to the very one we depend on to move, live, and have our being. Summary, number one, why did God reject the sacrifices of the priests? Why did God reject the sacrifices of the priests? A, because what they gave was not a genuine sacrificial offering. They offered animals that were sick. They offered animals that were defective, blind, broken up animals, without legs and crippled, diseased and maimed. Their sacrifices, their offerings were not Uh, genuine. Is that you? B. They had a rebellious attitude in that they did not care how they offered their sacrifices. It is not only what you give, it is how you give what you give. If you're giving with a grudgeful heart, a heart that doesn't want to, a heart that's resistant, then your attitude God has judged and you keep what you're about to give. Because if the attitude is not right, why give in the first place? See, Israel was rebellious in behavior in that they gave their sacrifices their own way and not as God commanded or prescribed according to the law. God is a God of order, and he wants things done a certain way. Not the way you want them done, but the way he has prescribed them. If you're going to take medicine from a doctor, you don't take medicine on your own terms. Where the doctor says this, I think I'll mix some water in it, and I think I'll add a little something. I think I'll juice this medicine up. You don't even think about it. You take it the way it's prescribed in the manner in which it's prescribed, because if you tamper with the prescription, it could kill you or at least make you sick. It is a dangerous thing to slap a holy God in the face with a bad attitude when it comes to giving him our best. D, the priests were in spiritual regression and separated from God, which is why they could sin without conscience or conviction. They were in bad shape and did not know it. And some people on the sound of my voice by radio and television and right here in, this, in the congregation today, you can think you're spiritually. You're so far from God. The priests thought they were all right, but they were just as messed up as they could be. No wonder the people were in bad shape. Look at the leadership. The priests were in spiritual regression and separated from God, which is why they could sin without conscience or conviction the priest served in God's temple while being disconnected from him. Is that you? Are you here today with the Bible, but you're disconnected from God? Are you here today singing Zion songs, but you're disconnected from God? Are you in the media ministry, the choir? Are you an usher working in the nursery, uh, sitting here with your big fat Bibles, but you don't have a big fat relationship with God? They were in the temple, but they were disconnected from God. They did not have God's approval to do what they were doing because they had just messed up and abused sacred thing, and God removed the approval for them to even be serving. They did not have favor from God because God is rebuking them through the prophet Malachi. It is a horrible thing when you're serving in the church as the priests were in Malachi's day without favor from God, without favor from God. You know what, they, what else they didn't have? They did not have the presence of God. It's a horrible thing when people can see everything but the presence of God in you and upon you. They don't see that holy aura Uh, They don't see that Christian disposition, the presence of God. Uh, They did not have the anointing of God. You know it's possible to be faithful in attendance, but not have the anointing or the empowerment of God upon your life. Whether you are playing an instrument, or whether you are s- uh, serving the people, receiving offerings, or whether you are uh, standing as a greeter, or a receptionist, or whatever you are doing, a counter of finances, you can do a thing so r- routinely without any reverential fear until the presence of God is no longer there. And so it is today. Many are serving in the Lord's church in the same spiritual condition, As the priests. Number two. In this passage we see an absence of reverential fear. Say reverential fear. Say it a little bit louder. Say it a little bit louder. Say that's strong young man. What is lacking in the church and in the Christian life is the reverential fear of God. Malachi 1.6 in the text says, where is my reverence? You need to underline that, highlight it, put a double line or do whatever you can do with it. But don't let that's the gist of this passage. Where is my reverence? What a question. Sometimes you can speed read the Bible, read so fast. And the, the principles and the scriptures can't resonate with you. That's the question. Where is the reverence of fear of God in your life? Well, let me pose the question this way, my friends. What does it mean to have the reverential fear of God, and how do you know when you don't possess it? What is the reverential fear? Malachi is speaking on behalf of God, and he's questioning the people. God uses Malachi. And God asks the question through Malachi, where is my reverence? What does it mean to have a reverential fear of God? And how do you know when you don't possess that reverential fear? That's why some churches are in a mess. Many Christian lives are in a mess. They have no respect for God, no regard for God, and no reverential fear for God. They can do anything and it don't even bother them, go to sleep and snore. To have a reverential fear of God is to honor him. To have a reverential fear of God is to have a deep respect for God. To have a reverential fear of God is to be awed at God. To have a holy awe of God. A-W-E. It is an admiration of God. It is a deep abiding affection for God. If you look closely, you'll see something there. Look at Malachi chapter 1 verse 14b. It says something else profound there. It says, for I am a great king. Oh, man, that's awesome. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name is to be feared among the nations. Whether it's Africa China, whether it's America, uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand. He says, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Where is the reverential fear of God in America? Where is the reverential fear of God in the White House, in the Senate, in the Congress, in the Supreme Court, in the governorship, mayoral ship, in the school boards, in the school systems, uh, in the judicial process? Where is the reverential fear of
1: Almighty God? Sin is a violation of the Word of God. When we gave our lives to Christ, we confessed and repented of our sins. We must remember how we felt that day when God freed us from that bondage. We became new in Christ Jesus. We must strive toward holiness every second of every day through fasting and prayer, studying and meditating on God's Word. Satan will continue to attack, but we have the victory in Christ Jesus. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas.